This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Holy cow, a whole new week, a whole new list of Trumpisms that we need to deal with. Holy cow, that guy needs to be quiet. I, You know, it's the craziest thing. I, I really think he just says something like off the cuff, and then the next thing you know, we spend a week talking about it. Holy cow. Anyway, we'll be getting to that later today. Uh, we'll be bringing on Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, get his take on... You know, Trump 3.0. I don't know where we are anymore. But uh, so would you rather be a Republican GOP member ready to face uh, these great um, debates and know that Trump's, you know, in the room? Or would you rather be a surfer at a surf contest and have a shark nibbling on your board? Hmm. Did you see that video? That was the craziest the guy's just sitting on his board. Next thing he knows, shark. What do you do? Just start slapping? Try to punch it in the nose, gouge its eye. He did. He said he got a good punch in on the back of the shark. I don't know if a kidney punch on a shark matters quite like a... If you can't hit the nose, then... It's basically the nose or go for the eyes. And and it's also the same for an alligator or a crocodile attack. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. Hey, okay, so when the crocs got you in the death roll... Just go for its eyes. Go for its eyes. (laughs) It's really hard to find the eyes, you know, when he's got you by the neck. That is crazy. Yeah. But then the the scary thing is this poor surfer has to just swim back. That that has got to be the loneliest moment of a surfer. Like, A, where's my board? He's dragging it on his tether to his foot while he's trying to swim back. I guess that's not a bad decoy because he's ahead swimming. Making all the splashing and noise, but his board's still dangling behind him that the shark can attack. Well, he was on his board. Nobody fell off the board when he was swimming in. Did you see him swimming in? There's a moment when he's swimming in that huh. I don't think he had his board. And he looked... A little scared? Terrified. Can you imagine just swimming away from a shark? And then when he was on the boat, he, he was like, dude. <laughs> anyway. He was freaked. I'd be freaking out, too. So I don't know. What would you pick? Trump in a debate, shark in a surf contest. Probably Trump. I think your odds are better with a shark. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Because they say, according to Shark Week. Well, Trump's not going to debate you. He's going to shut you down. Right. So, But in front of a billion people. And deny what he said like two seconds before. Right. <laughs> a shark's just going to try to nibble at you. I heard this morning. They said the, the biggest... Concern with all the other candidates that are running oh, yeah. for the Republican nomination is the fact that Trump does not honor the normal rules of decorum when it comes right. to being a politician. He's just going to throw something out there, which he'll do. And I think I really do. I just think it, he doesn't think and he just says something. And then he maybe has not too much ego that he won't back down off of it. The rest of us would just get bit and we'd be like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That was, that was wrong of me. Oh, he made fun of a. a War hero. Six years the guy was captured, right? You don't make fun of – you not not make fun, but you don't diss 
a war hero. No, anyway. not at all. Uh, going, let's go to our headlines. Terry South's in for Kathy Aiken, who's still away on vacation. Sad, but true. But she'll be back. She'll be back. Trump was on uh, ABC's This Week. He had more comments. They asked him if he would like to apologize for his remarks about the military history of John McCain. He made those comments at the Family Leadership Summit on Saturday night. I supported him for president. I raised a million dollars for him. It's a lot of money. I supported him. He lost. He let us down. But, you know, he lost. So I never liked him as much after that because I don't like losers. But, but Frank, Frank, let me get hero. to it. He's he hit me. Hero. He's not a war He's hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. And a half years He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. So those are some of the comments. And he later went on ABC Sunday morning, and they asked him, would you like to apologize? And he said this. No, not at all. I'm very disappointed in John McCain because the vets are horribly treated in this country. I'm fighting for the vets. I've done a lot for the vets. So Trump goes after McCain, talking about his war, his POW credits, and yeah. then he tries to wrap it up in the and in what what John McCain has done for returning troops, and when it comes to the controversy with the VA hospitals, and and tries to I don't know somehow dig his way back out. So <laughs> he'll continue that way. Presidential candidate Ben Carson followed Donald Trump at the Family Leadership Summit in Iowa Saturday, and similarly questioned whether John McCain was a war hero or not. After dodging a question about Trump's remarks, specifically, Carson said, it depends on your definition of a war hero. When he was questioned further, Carson simply said he's done some good things. Mm. So. Are you kidding? (laughs) Why? It's just. Why? Just. Sure. These will just be lessons for public relations and and trying to uh, crisis manage some sort of, you know situation like this when you're dealing with a public figure the navy petty officer a navy petty officer has become the fifth u.s service member to have died as a result of thursday's shooting at the naval operations support center in chattanooga tennessee the navy confirmed that the petty officer's death saturday morning four marines thomas sullivan squire skip wells david wyatt and carson holmquist were killed on thursday and three others were wounded the alleged shooter uh, was also killed in the interactions we all, all have uh, read and heard about over the last few days. Cuba's official embassy in Washington will open its doors this morning. It is open. And as the island nation fully restored to diplomatic relations with the U.S. at midnight, the U.S. interest section in Cuba has also transitioned into a full diplomatic mission, marking the first time the two countries have operated full-fledged embassies in Havana and Washington since they cut ties in 1961. Cigars for everyone. <laughs> I guess. Everybody in D.C. is going to be smoking Cuban cigars now. Have at it. So they're both open. There's a Cuban flag over the State Department along with all the other flags that we yeah. have diplomatic relations with. So we're stepping well, forward Well, you know, there. isn't that great? It's great to see that we're, we're friends again. I, 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 I want to travel to Cuba now. I'm, I'm not, you know, you look at the whole situation, not sure about all the different details, but... 50 years, we've just sort of had a cold shoulder to them and hasn't really fixed anything. Yeah. So why don't we try some diplomatic resources sure, and why try not? to fix something? Try, try a new tack. Try something different. See sure. what happens. The uh, We talked about it. The professional Australian surfer, three-time world champion Mick Fanning, had some unwanted company Saturday Sunday during a competition in South Africa as he was getting ready to paddle. A shark swam at his board. Mm. Fanning proved his athleticism by punching the shark twice. Quote, it kept coming at my board. I was kicking and screaming. I just saw fins. I didn't see any teeth. He told the, uh, an Australian news station, he goes, I was waiting for the teeth to come at me. I punched it in the back. 
Fanning kidney was, punch. That's a kidney punch. Fanning was then pulled from the water uh, on uh, jet skis. The World Surf League canceled the event because of the incident. Ah! Like, we can't do this. I mean, you're, the guy's <laughs> on the board looking one direction, and a shark's coming up behind him and nibbling on his little tether. Yeah. His ankle tether. But, but you've seen the video. Lots of people have seen the video. He's on the board, and all of a sudden, the fin just pops right out. Seriously, that is like... <laughs> it's a scary. That's everybody's worst nightmare. You know what I mean? That's like... That is... What gets scarier than that? The Trump debate. The Trump, probably. Yeah, if he came at you with some sort of conversation, you're supposed to have some and sort of You know of who's got to be scared him. in the whole Trump debate, by the way? Rubio. And who's the other one he keeps bringing up? Jeb? Jeb. Well, he keeps bringing up two people that, oh, uh, Perry. Oh, Perry? Because they're both pretty vocal about him. Right. So those two are, you know, shark bait. Finally, police in Colorado say a stuffed toy helped a five-year-old girl's life or save her life after she fell out of a third-story apartment window. The girl broke her arm, but Colorado Springs police say she held onto the toy and it cushioned her fall Thursday night. Police said the girl was playing in her room. When she fell backwards out of her bedroom window, she dropped throughout three stories to the ground. The girl was treated and released. They said the authorities have ruled the fall as accidental. The toy, a minion. Oh, really? A small yellow creature popularized in the Despicable Me movies, but she was holding onto her minion as she fell, and that <laughs> cushion helped to just, she broke her arm, but she was fine. After Isn't that know. funny? Because symbolically, the minion is the person that yeah. we just use. He did, the minion did something right, <laughs> whereas uh, they always sort of yeah. break things. They're there to be used. Yeah. And she used her minion and broke her fall. Exactly what you would do in a movie. It's a, that's why I need a minion. Yeah. Is that Ben? Is Ben my minion? Sort of. Let's ask Don today if Ben is my official minion. Okay. Because I need a well, minion. We don't like titles around here, as I keep being yeah, told. That's true. Let's not call him a minion. Let's just call him my slave, my friend, friend my friend that does personal assistant. My bidding. Minion works. I think minion <laughs> might be a term of affection. Mm-hmm. I think that's his last name. Really? Isn't it Ben Minion? Could be. What is it? Ben Wasden, but. Minion sounds better. Yeah, we'll change your name. Ben, how you doing? Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was pretty good. Did you see Liz in there? Have you seen Liz today? No. Liz is one of our producers, Elizabeth Miller. Uh, she cut her hair. She had well, long hair. Have you yeah. seen her? No, I just I heard you yell something to her as you like, were coming Like, it's amazing. I mean, she had really long hair. And she cut her hair right off. Like G.I. Jane? Like Uh-huh. Not buzzed it. Oh, okay. But it's short. And I'm like, Liz, is that you? Because I saw her from behind. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, what happened to your hair? I gave it to charity, she said. Oh. She cut her hair and gave it to like charity. Like locks of love or whatever. Well, no, I think is. it's like, uh, it's the hair club for men. Okay. So <laughs> there's like about 50, you know, 50, 50 year olds that are like, sweet. I'm going to have no more comb over. <laughs> but Liz, that's so cool. Liz gave her hair. I think it was a lot locks for love. So she gets her hair cut. Mm-hmm. You know, big deal. I cut my hair. No one even says a word. Yeah. Well, I'm just. <laughs> it's kind of different. <laughs> I've just... she, she lost about, I don't know, 10 inches. Okay. When you cut your hair, you lose. It's about two. Not two inches. Okay, so it's a, an inch. Millimeter, a centimeter? It's about an inch. No. Yeah. Your hair's never been that long. It could be. No? no? So it, no. I just, I, I see a. There's, it's a, there's an imbalance in yeah. praise. Well, again, Liz lost 10 inches. Of, when when you lose 10 inches of anything, 
It's a big deal. I understand. A surfer that loses 10 inches. If he lost 10 inches of his arm or <laughs> leg or something. We're going to yes. talk about it. Understood. Even the guy, you know, Mick Fanning, he didn't lose anything, but he almost did. Cool stuff. Good job, Liz. Congrats to you. Um, and thanks for helping out Men's Hair Club. That's going to be great. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be joining us talking all things political. He's going to help us uh, sort through some of this Donald Trump chaos. Anyway, interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the show. Help you find the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on the show, we like to keep you informed. Uh, it's, it's a tough thing because at some point, a lot of people are just tired of politics, right? We've, we've got a lot of it going on. And, you know, with every turn, as, as the Trump turns, so turns the political world. So we wanted to bring in our expert, Joe Cannon, as we do every Monday, and just do a little wrap-up politically, what's going on, help get some insight and uh, Joe was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party uh, from 2002 to 2006. He was also a candidate for the U.S. Senate way back in the day, 1992, served as an assistant administrator for the U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration. He was also the editor of the Deseret News, which is a, a, a pretty large um, paper uh, in the Midwest, in the Intermountain region. Um, and so, he, you know, all things media, all things politics, we go to Joe Cannon as our insider. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. And you're on the road. Uh, where are you going today? Anywhere fun? I'm headed to Washington, D.C., the center of uh, the heart of darkness or <laughs> center of light, depending on who you think. Uh, depending on... you think. Well, some man. People think it, some people think it's uh, Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> That's true. No, but that's actually I haven't heard that lately, but that's actually totally true. Hey, um, Joe, talk to me. What? Okay, Donald Trump. We. It's got to drive people crazy because I I saw an interview over the weekend for Ted Cruz. So Ted Cruz gets on. You know, he could talk about his book. He could talk about his political agenda, but he has to answer questions about Donald Trump. Is Donald Trump stealing all of the oxygen out of? This uh, this election for Republicans. Well, um, wow, it's so hard to say anything novel about Donald Trump. But <laughs> the answer is he certainly is taking up a lot of airtime. That's true. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know because maybe only one or two percent of the population is actually thinking about the sure. uh, presidential campaign. And so what he is doing is uh, helping all the other Republican candidates by keeping the heat on himself and not on themselves. That's true, huh? He's a distraction. He, he's a, well, what he is, he's a combination of one of the most self-absorbed and one of the least self-aware, <laughs> most arrogant, prideful humans on the earth. He may be fairly clever at business, although his main cleverness seems to be taking other people's money and then running them into Chapter 11, bankruptcy. Mm, yeah. That's his tactic. So clever or not, that's how he's made a lot of money. Um, but that list of defects, you know, the, the, the pride, the overwhelming pride and arrogance, uh, I don't know. But people it's, love it's him, rare, Joe. It's rare in history that somebody has been so proud and so 
stupid at the same time. Well, but again, the, his his ratings keep going up. The polls keep going up. So well, what wait, what is wait, 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 what is it that wait. people like? His his disapproval rating is way up. You know, I don't yeah. know what it is. People don't. In the yeah, sixties. His approval rating doubled from sixteen percent to thirty three. Hmm. So it doubled to thirty three percent. Lots of people would be slitting their wrists if they had a 33% approval rating. Right. Well, normally, Congress, normal right? People, normal people yeah. would be slitting their wrists. Yeah. Uh, people like Donald Trump probably, you know, so self-unaware doesn't doesn't matter to it. But I, I think it's, it's a, you know, a pretty sad tale to say that when you double your rating, you only get to 33%. But is the in the polls, he's, yeah, he's the polls leading. Up, sure. yeah. Why? Now, why? Explain why. Why is he ahead? Well, I think there are a lot of people who are just fed up with the whole political system, with the uh, both parties. And I think he appeals to people who just want to poke their eye in the whole political process. And that's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. I mean, I'm, I, maybe I'm in that category. I'm not in a Trump category, but there, there are a lot of people who are uh, pretty unhappy with politicians and and so they, they're, it's kind of like the Joker at a at, at the at a royal court. You know, it gets a lot of attention. Um, he can make fun of the king without getting killed. Although you have to be a little bit careful. And maybe he did go over the line. Hopefully, uh, this last weekend, last yeah. week. I mean, you don't make you don't you don't diss a Look, veteran. A guy who dodged the draft has no right to criticize John McCain. Yeah, I'm no particular big fan of John McCain. But a draft dodger guy uh, doesn't deserve to criticize a guy who spent a bunch of years in prison for us mm-hmm. when that guy wasn't even there. I'm but, really, I'm really disgusted at that. Yeah, that part. that was that was like. But what he does, it seems like, is he throws out a jab, like uh, you know, Donald Donald doesn't like losers. Not, he's not mad enough to show to say, "Wow, I'm sorry." You know, I probably stepped over the line there. He's not mad enough to do that. Yeah. And and then yeah then then they corner him on it and and he doubles down he just keeps doubling down yeah, and yeah. and then it makes some other some other stupid things and now John McCain is responsible for all the problems of the Veterans Administration mm-hmm. just because Trump made a stupid remark about him right no I mean honestly this I mean that that's whole, it seems like that's the freedom of being Trump is that you can say stuff well you're really rich I happen to know some people actually fairly close to him. And even they, no one is willing to tell him when he does something wrong because he's so rich and in his own little circle, so powerful. No one says, hey, Donald, you know, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I ought to try this and not that. Maybe. I mean, his people close to him are even wondering, why don't you, why don't you make some substantive policy statement about anything? Hmm. Other yeah. than your stupid bravado about how you can negotiate better than anybody else, why don't you give a substantive policy recommendation on anything? No, no one even wants to tell them that because they're they're too afraid of the reaction that you could have. It's interesting. That's the, that's it's the kind of guy you want to be president. Right well, it's there. true. I mean, I, I, what it is is you see a lot of fear. You see a lot of politicians that don't want to touch it because of the you know it's just going to suck them in it's like some vortex talking about people he trusts near him near him close yeah are afraid are afraid to give him suggestions on his campaign because he's just out there uh you know 
all sales, all guns blasting, <laughs> with like I say, no no self reflection and Who, who's, a lot of self absorption. Okay, so if Trump wasn't there, who's kind of the viable anti politic that's strong? The guy, the person that's strong enough to like kind of push back, almost Trump esque, but is a viable candidate. Is there one? Yeah. I don't even want to put Trump in the same category. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who, uh, you know, could, uh, well, maybe Chris Christie. Yeah, that's I what I was thinking. I don't think he's viable either. But okay. uh, at, least, at least Chris Christie is a, is a really smart guy, can give a very engaging talk, and understands policy, understands where he's going. And I like Chris Christie. I'm just saying I, I, I don't think the governor of New Jersey is going to get to be the Republican presidential nominee. But he'd be the only guy a little bit like that. Another guy who might be a little like that, who is, uh, can be very direct, is John Kasich. Hmm. But I'm not sure he's going to get out of the blocks either. But he's, you know, he's very popular in his state. He's, uh, yeah. And he's, one of the reasons he's popular is he, quote, tells it like it is, close quote. He's you know, a pretty direct guy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because with this debate coming up, um, Again, it seems like for at least the next couple of weeks through the debate, Trump's going to just keep taking the oxygen out. Yeah, but like I said, I'm not sure how harmful that is right now. And maybe the maybe the faster they flare up like a supernova, the more quickly they, <laughs> they burn flare out. out. Yeah. Oh, man, it's interesting stuff. Well, let's take a break. We're talking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Uh, he's uh, trying to walk us through all things Trump today. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. I really want to get into uh, a, a lot of other issues. Hillary Clinton, her trustworthiness levels, fallout from the Iran deal. Find out about that. Find out about uh, Scott Walker's launch. Was it all that it was cracked up to be? We'll take a break. Come right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. Show, good stuff. We're we're uh, joined by our uh, political insider Joe Cannon joins us. He's also the president CEO of uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is a uh, a nonprofit organization designed to help us cut fuel costs here in the United States. So he's out there trying to make it cheaper for you to commute uh, back and forth. In fact, Joe, I wanted to ask you about that. Apparently, with uh, this new trade agreement um, or the the new uh, Iran deal in in the um, in the nuclear kind of agreement apparently it's going to open up a lot of Iran's oil so that has a chance I hear of lowering our costs for fuel here in the US is that true could yeah, could, could well do I mean to to be seen what the overall regional stability actually you know, and so, if it happens, yeah, affect how it affects it's affected. But uh, yeah, no, the Iranian oil on the uh, on the market—that's one of the main things they were negotiating for. With, with that and the 150 billion dollars they're getting, they're getting going to continue their reign of terror in the Middle East and every place else. 
Yeah. Does what? What's what are you noticing on the fallout of all of that? The sixty day. Uh, I guess that they, they they start debating it in Congress. Is that what's going to start happening in the next few days? I'm pretty sure. I don't know the exact time, but uh, you know, I talked to people over the weekend from Capitol Hill, both members and staffers, and they're pretty ready to go on this thing. Are they? It's going to happen. Well, I think the it's, it's well, we'll see what happens, but. Basically, I think the, the president is trying to circumvent Congress by taking the deal to the United Nations. Once all the rest of the countries abandon sanctions, uh, probably not much else matters. Hmm. But that's really all that all that right. uh, all that Iran really wanted was uh, access to their frozen funds, uh, the lifting of the sanctions, the production of oil, and of course they're going to continue doing whatever they have been doing on their nuclear weapons. But but won't it won't it open up at least our ability to go in and inspect? Not our ability. No American. The UN's ability. Yeah. Anything over there. Somebody might have the ability after they give them twenty four days notice. You know, just like policemen in America give drug dealers twenty four days notice. <laughs> hey, hey, we're thinking of coming in and and oh, we're going to get into a war. It's going to take us about twenty four days. So just kind of hang tight till we uh, we get there in twenty four days. Yeah that's, yeah. that's the deal we've got. It's it's, it's that's, such an that's interesting. The best of the deal we got. Yeah. yeah, but but I guess I guess some are saying though, Joe. You know, so what do we do? Take them to war? Go to war? Attack them? But that's such a false status that's quo. The president says it's a it's a false dichotomy to say if you don't like this agreement, you like war. Yeah. Uh, what what the, what this agreement did do is change the status quo in a way that it didn't need to look. Let me just make a caveat. I don't know really much about. Uh, international diplomacy. So I, I, I'm not an expert on this. But if I look at all the people who are happy with this agreement and all the people who are unhappy with this agreement, kind of my inclination is with the people who are unhappy. They're the people I trust more than the people who are happy. <laughs> That's okay. true. It's, I mean, cause... What, what, what set of people who are happy are Hezbollah and Hamas and all the people who Iran now and has always been a sponsor of, these terrorists, they just got $150 billion more to play with. Yeah. So well, is that more lives lost, more murders, more beheadings, more instability, more terror, or not? I don't know. seems pretty obvious to me. Yeah. And Russia's going to like it, right? That, and the opposite of that is oh, we're going to go to war. No, the opposite of that is where we are today, not giving them all that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really— I don't know what it really means in terms of nuclear development. My guess is Iran's going to do whatever it has been doing and wants to do, kind of unconstrained by this, you know. But who knows? Does this does this um, give Republicans or Democrats in the upcoming presidential election an advantage? It seems like after a year of this playing out, it's going to. Yeah, in- I don't know. I mean, you have plenty of Democrats who don't like this deal either. So this is there. There's some kinds of issues, some categories of issues that are, you know, pretty bipartisan slash nonpartisan. For example, free trade agreements. You, you have Republicans and Democrats divided on that kind of issue. On, on this treaty or this agreement, uh, you've got a lot, of, well, I don't think you have any Republicans in favor of it, but you have quite a few Democrats either not in favor of it are very anxious about what say like what what Hillary's saying is a I played a big part in this b this isn't the final end this is just a 
a good step forward. So she's even she's playing it kind of carefully. Mm-hmm. I heard Tom Friedman over the weekend say, "Look, this agreement's going to be great unless it becomes the Obamacare agreements." Meaning, it might be good in, in his mind, it might be good in principle, but it all remains to be seen how the details work out. Man, you know, it's it's such an interesting thing because it, it also seems like, sim- like you were just talking about, the people that are happy with it aren't usually the people that the U.S. is, you know, excited to make happy. Uh, with, right, yeah, right. it seems like like Russia Russia could benefit greatly by this by selling more arms because it eventually could open up arms agreements and Iran can buy more arms. Um, but it, it also China, China gets to buy more oil, which it needs. Yeah, and sell arms. Yeah, but but in the end too, you know, it seems like it puts uh, Israel in a really interesting position where instead of being our primary concern and ally in the region, that seems to have been put on the back burner, right? So now it's almost like they're in a weird place in relation with the United States. Well, I mean, they're certainly in a weird place with respect to this administration. Not sure about the United States. Yeah, yeah. You've got plenty of Democratic senators who are upset because of the because of the situation with Israel. New York uh, Schumer, Chuck Schumer, uh, hasn't isn't saying much. He's really tends to be very pro-Israel, right? And he's kind of staying out of this, even though he's the the Senate heir to the to the throne, right? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I'm really reluctant to drop names. It just happens. I was in a meeting with the Senator Schumer a few weeks ago. You know, before the deal was signed, while it was still percolating. Right. And uh, he said. Gee, depending on what the president does, this could put me in a really complicated situation. Oh wow! I mean, really, he <laughs> wants—he's he, he's the, he's the next in charge, and yeah, he's he's the likely heir. Yeah, to uh, Senator Reid, right? Oh man! Oh, the tangled web, Joe. Hey, talk about Hillary Clinton. Is she? Is she again? I think it's brilliant. She just is laying low on all of this. Let all the Republicans beat each other up, and let. I mean, very few people are actually ever taking a shot at Hillary anymore. No, I mean, she's uh, the, the Trump effect is actually benefiting her, too. I mean, she, she does have some minimal opposition uh, in her party, but truly minimal. Uh, she's going to be the candidate, and uh, she's going, hey, you know, I, why, why should I, uh, you know, stick, stick my neck out there? Let's just let things go. And she gets to give some policy speeches, but... I think her strategy is not to attract too much attention right now. It's a pretty smart strategy. Yeah. yeah. Do, do, do you sense um, these terrorist attacks? Like, We don't know if it's terrorist, but the Chattanooga shooting, for example, which seems to have some terrorist you know, implications, does, does that impact uh, one party more than the other in this election? Do Republicans fare better in this fight? Does, is this going to help somebody's campaign? If we keep having attacks like we saw, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I hope not. I, I I don't think of it as a very partisan deal. I just, uh, uh, you know, it's just it's just a tragedy, uh, and I'm not. I, I I don't see anybody rushing to take advantage of it. I don't. Yeah, nobody I wants. I, I guess I guess if I were advising a candidate, I wouldn't be the one. Wouldn't want to be the one who you know, thrust this into the partisan debate. Sure. Well, I mean, I could, I would bet 
Trump will bring it up. And, um, well, could be because he knows the answer to everything. He's well, and it, it seems like the the answer is just well, yeah, President Obama hasn't done enough. I mean, obviously, we just keep having attack after attack after attack after attack, and I mean, it just seems like eventually that's going to get thrown out there. Maybe when there's some time beyond some of these issues. Well, it might, it might, but well, these guys are running, going to end up running against Obama, and they're going to try to characterize uh, the Clinton campaign as the third term of Obama. I still don't see them. They might say he hasn't done enough in general from a security standpoint. But I don't see them focusing on particular incidents like mm-hmm. this. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, well, I, I certainly haven't heard anybody in the last week no. you know, raise that specter. It's, Even the Donald, I don't think, has. But, of course, I don't hang on every word, so I don't hear everything <laughs> you said. Good. Do, do, you, do you sense that Hillary is getting far enough away from, you know, uh, Obama 2.0 being the – being too closely tied to Obama that it's gonna that it would hurt her is 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 Obama no, now a positive no, thing? She she is her biggest political dilemma is she cannot win if she doesn't deliver the Obama base. Mm. So she her her the biggest tightrope she's walking is look I got to keep the Obama base but I've got to appeal enough to independents most of them don't like where we are with Obama. She, she's that, that's going to be her toughest challenge right now. I haven't heard her say anything that really trashes Obama or even sharply distinguishes hmm. herself from Obama. Mostly little nuanced, little caveats, but like she hasn't come out against this agreement. Uh, now she hasn't said anything on the Keystone Pipeline yet. She hasn't said anything about. It free trade agreements. I mean, so there are things yeah. out there that she, you know, she hasn't talked about that, that could put her in a tough situation. But but that's her dilemma is she she can't run. She can't run and win as Obama 2.0. On the other hand, she can't run against it and preserve that base mm-hmm. to her victory. It's, it's interesting, too, because we hear in the polls how no matter what candidate will come up against her, she's she's bound to win. Except that's assuming that there's a turnout, right? And and the turnout of I mean, so a poll is not a turnout. No, no, not by a long shot. And and especially polling, almost almost all of her no one in her base. Her, her base is not going to abandon her. Obama's base is not going to abandon her. But the intensity with which they show up in the polls. Is going to show up at polling places mm-hmm. is uh, is going to vary quite a bit. I mean, we don't know that, but that's that's the risk. That that's where she's running. Well, I mean, again, though, yeah, but the intensity that was around Obama in both elections and the turnout was incredible. It'd be very hard to duplicate that. Yeah, interesting. If she were, if she were Bill, you know, we might not be having this conversation. But with all due respect, she's not Bill. She, yeah, she's not as exciting, engaging person yeah. as, as her husband. It's so true. It really is. And the turnouts, I mean, but again, you'd think the turnout would just be high simply because this is the first female president. You could, yeah, But she'd you have could, to stir I'm, that, I'm wouldn't sure she? That, that in itself motivates the African-American base, yeah. the Hispanic base, or the labor union base. It definitely excites one of their bases, which is, you know, single women uh, is one of their strongest bases. Hmm. 
bases of the uh, of the Obama coalition. But so sure, it's going to excite that. But that's just a component. It's true. Of the overall base. Man, hey, I just want to say something before we move yeah. off. Is that okay? Yeah, please. So, so um, forty-six years ago today, the two astronauts landed on the moon mm. from America, and. Just a little thought, just a little thought experiment. Imagine a list. So imagine in your mind a, a whiteboard with a list of all the countries in the world that have the metric system. And then imagine on that same board a list of all the people who put men on the moon. Yeah. So, and we don't have the metric system. Anyway, yeah. That was a feeble attempt at a joke, Adam. So. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're diet Joe, but you know what? It's really it's interesting that um, you bring up the moon thing because we just went past Pluto. We a mission nine and a half years in the making, about seven hundred and fifty million dollars, and uh, it seems like we're not competing in space like we used to. No, we're not. Uh, although I will say that was to me probably the most interesting news of the last few days it was really fascinating totally looking at those pictures i mean nine and a half years nine and a half years at thirty one thousand miles an hour yeah that's amazing and yet you know okay and that, really sharp pictures that and apparently that that are teaching us that a lot of things we thought are true aren't true mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it and again started by a president right a president that motivates and called people out and let's make something happen and yeah, you, know, you have to have leadership or something like that to happen. That's exactly right. Pretty cool stuff. Well, Joe, we appreciate you, man. Uh, good job. Keep up the great work. Travel safely and go back to D.C. the the, the you know the city of darkness and uh, and make them prettier. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good luck, Joe. Thank you for being our insider, our Washington insider. Again, Joe Cannon, the man, the myth, the legend. You can go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. Trying to lower the cost of fuel for Americans. Heaven knows we need it. We'll take a break. Come back to a little Coach's Corner. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, such an interesting world we live in, isn't it? Again, we go to space. As Joe was teaching us, you know, what was it, 46 years ago today? They landed on the moon. I mean, that's pretty cool. 46 years ago, we landed on the moon. And, uh, you know, a couple a week ago, we, we flew a, a probe... All the way to Pluto. Crazy advancements in technology, and yet little basic things we still can't figure out. How to get Republicans and Democrats to talk? That's a lot harder. Maybe what we ought to do is put them on a probe and send them out to Pluto. And just tell them, you're not coming back. You're not coming back until you can make nice and be friends. But uh, interesting thing, one um, study that just came out, the scientists say uh, the longer that people are in space, their their skin thins. It's scary. 
according to a study I found on uh, yahoonews.com, astronaut skin gets thinner in space, scientists says. A long-awaited human mission to the Red Planet is still a number of years away, going to, going to Mars, for example, because it would take, it would take uh, at least a half a year of space travel just to get to Mars. The problem, though, based on using advanced imaging technology, they're starting to find out that the longer the astronauts are up there, their skin thins. So by the time they get back, they'd be a mess. So talk about thin-skinned. I don't know what it is, but those astronauts are sure thin-skinned. Isn't that crazy? So we may not be able to actually send people to, uh, to Mars because when they come back, they might, you know, just have a really thin layer of skin. It's crazy. But it's just an advancement. We'll fix that. If we could figure out how to make people more thick-skinned, we would not only get people to Mars, we'd probably fix politics. What would happen in your life if, you know, somebody that offended you couldn't offend you because you could handle it? It's crazy, the advancements. And uh, just the little things we have to overcome. But we can do it. We'll figure it out. Another crazy study I heard or I just saw recently blew my mind. Doctors save a man's hand by grafting it onto his leg for a month. Isn't that crazy? The surgery was carried on a factory worker known as Zhu at, uh, at a hospital in um, Changsha in, in China, the capital of Hunan province in central China. Zhu had his left hand chopped off during a work accident involving a spinning blade machine and was rushed to the hospital where Dr. Tang Juyu, head of microsurgery at the hospital, decided to operate to give him a chance to revive his lost hand. The surgical team were unable to reattach the hand to Zhu's arm straight away as the man had severed nerves and tendons that they needed uh, to make sure were healed before they did the surgery. So instead of, you know, you got to somehow keep the hand alive. So they they, they, they took the hand and they sewed it onto his leg. So, you know, this zoo guy is now walking around with his hand. This is actually passed. He, for a month, he walked around. I don't know if he was walking. But he had his foot and his hand attached down by the ankle. The, the picture of it, seriously ugly. But it kept the blood flow and normal temperatures into the hand, kept the blood flowing to the hand, you know, all within 10 hours of the, of the tragedy crazy. And, uh, you know, instead of tossing the hand, which we would have done years ago, now we keep the hand alive. And it looks like in uh, in a while, in in two or three weeks, they're going to try to reattach that bad boy. And what do you do? (laughs) Dad, what's on your leg? Just my hand, son. Ooh, just be quiet, son. Again, we can save a person's hand. Think back in the days. How many hands were amputated? Feet were amputated. We're advancing. Life is, you're living at a time where we can keep stuff happening that never could have happened years ago. That's cool. It's a cool time to live, don't you think? Ben's mesmerized. Ben, it's, <laughs> he just gave me high five. Um, anyway, crazy stuff. So sure. The moon's hard, and we celebrate 46 years, and it's cool to go to Pluto. Even if our skin may thin, we may not be able to go to Mars, or somebody will. 
I'd go find the thickest skinned person you know and send them to Mars. And they're still making huge advancements and saving hands that we normally would have lost. Consider yourself lucky. So whatever Trump throws out there, whatever's going on with Hillary's emails at the time, regardless of what's happening in politics, it doesn't matter. You're lucky to be alive at this time. Life is good. See, there's good in the world. We'll take a break, my friends. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the bag. There it is. Take it. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools you won't believe. Next hour, does education increase your longevity? According to the latest research, it does. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is where we give you the tools, the ideas, the insight, the experts, you need to, uh, you know, most news just gives you two minutes of news or whatever. We actually go then and give you an a, a in-depth interview with the latest stories, hopefully giving you the tools you need to, to make a better life. Today, we're doing it again. Would you believe that your education level impacts dramatically your longevity, your ability to live longer? You get an education above high school, you're going to live longer. See, I would say college would cut into your you would think that. length of life. Mm-mm. No, it just – but and actually when you're in college, it feels like your life is never going to end. Well, there's that. that. So that way it does help. But apparently when you live longer, you get, you're more likely to get paid more. You're more likely to get health benefits. There's just a lot of things in the end, and it increases your longevity. It's – not having an education is the equivalent of smoking. Huh. That's on interesting. On your lifespan. Yeah, that's interesting. So if you have if you don't have an education and you smoke, you're double dead. So when people say, "Ah, you don't need to go to college." College is for wimps. You don't need to do that. Yeah. Just go get a job. It's about skills. Yeah. It's not about what you learn. It's interesting. Now, huh. unless you've in, you know, unless you're like you've made an app and you're worth millions, well, we've had a guy that we've talked to about that once. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's different. But isn't that kind of the modern day lottery? Yeah. I mean, outside of the actual lottery that exists. Yeah, that's that's an earned lottery. I guess they yeah. earned it, but instead of just, you know, buying a ticket and buying, yeah, and thinking your odds go up every time you buy another ticket because you've bought these tickets. So, right. Yeah. But the same people, there's people that build apps like crazy and they, you, know. you make a couple hundred bucks. That's about it. This guy builds an app. Boom, bada boom, $54 million. Millions of dollars. Garrett G. If you want an interesting interview, go back to our podcast. Go find the podcast with Garrett G, and you'll sit there and think, oh, man. Yeah, the whole time you're like, wow. He just, Why can't he, this be me? He just found an app that he thought was cool, and he just thought, oh, I could design that better. And it's a scanning app. Yeah. And there's hundreds of those, yeah. but his has a certain little twist to it. His has, yeah, his has a twist, and then he sold the twist and the app. 
He didn't even know how to design. He he knew design skills. He didn't have the ability to actually do so the app. Is it education that helps with more t- your the yes. length of your life, or is it the 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 peace of mind, the the stability that comes with steady income? It's probably it's probably both and. Not to say you, you need a college degree to have a steady income, but they're no. saying that there's a, the possibility of a, gra- a greater possibility of that yeah. with more education. Well, and, and it also, yeah, so it just sets you up to, to maybe make better decisions about your money. If you hmm. do have money, it sets you up. It's just, it's just probably more about a discipline of learning to think it might put you in a different category because now you can, you're probably more employable. Yeah. You I might question, have more skills. I, I question that because they make you wake up, sit in the classroom, mm-hmm. pay pay the pay pay the man crazy amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound great? Maybe you're in debt. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, a lot of millennials life. don't like that. <laughs> no, they, they just, don't. They just don't like that. But you know what, millennials? Hey, then die younger. Yeah, it's your life. Do what you want with it. <laughs> we'll find out if that's true. Doctor Patrick Kruger will be joining us. Who's done the research on this? from the University of Colorado, Denver. He'll be talking with us in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines, find out what's happening in this crazy country. Terry? Top top story today, as it has been for the last few weeks, is Donald Trump. The Trumpinator. He, while addressing the annual Family Leadership Summit in Ames, Iowa, on Saturday. When are you going to address that? The Ames, uh, uh, The Family Leadership Summit. On the 12th. On the 12th? Of never. Of never. So he's up there addressing the the, the group. They have kind of a sit-down. He sits with the host, give and take, sort of talk that way. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about John McCain. He's had some problems with John McCain. Mm -hmm. John McCain criticized uh, Trump's recent visit to Arizona, calling the people that showed up to that the crazies. (laughs) You're attracting the crazies. You're getting the crazies all riled up. So he, he goes after McCain, and they're talking back and forth, and he tosses in. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured, Trump said. I like people that weren't captured. Mm-hmm. McCain was taken prisoner of war five for five years during the Vietnam War. Trump, meanwhile, received four student draft deferments between 1964 and 1968 and an additional medical deferment after graduating from the University of Pennsylvania. He said it was because of bone spurs. Mm. On Sunday, Trump tried to deflect questions uh, by criticizing McCain's record when it comes to veterans' health care or access to health care. Somebody was saying McCain's a smart man. I said, really? He graduated last in his class at Annapolis? Okay. So, you know, people laughed when I said it, but a lot of people don't know that. I'm very disappointed. I understand John McCain. I backed John McCain, raised, I think, a million dollars for John McCain when he let us down. He ran for president and lost to Obama, let us down. I wasn't thrilled with that. So he's just kind of piling on, tosses in the Annapolis, tosses in the lost the election, instead he, of acknowledging that the he, guy spent five years in a prisoner of war yeah. camp. Come on. Well, he only likes winners. Yes, just winners. Not if you losers. get captured, you're a loser. By the way, so what would he think about a guy that got out of the draft because of bone spurs? Is that a winner or a loser? It's an American. He, goes, a, he said lots of people did that. Yeah. So. It's just... It, it, it's it's a classic case of you said something wrong, admit it and move on, and it's done. And instead, he keeps trying to find a different argument to make it sound better, mm-hmm. which doesn't usually work. But, and I think in his mind, honestly, any press is good press. And apparently it's working. I guess. So if people don't like it, you know. 
He says that he will not apologize and will not drop out of the race, as some of his opponents have suggested. Senator Bernie Sanders, meanwhile, at a rally in Phoenix, Arizona on Saturday, he had a crowd of more than 11,000 people. That's his largest group to date. The Washington Post reports Sanders drew on his familiar stump speech in the solidly red state focusing on income inequality. Hmm. He also had hecklers. Who, uh, Bernie did? Yes. They what, were. What were they? How, what were they saying? Social, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Some Latino groups were there. Sure. He met later with the the Latino group, and they had a, a question and answer back and forth. But this, it was interesting as the the candidates came up and spoke. A lot of Democrat uh, presidential candidates came up and spoke, and these this uh, Black Lives Matter group was trying to get their point of point across, and they didn't feel like they were addressing anything in this gathering. That okay. address that issue, and yeah. so they resorted to kind of yelling out and disrupting the whole proceedings. So the video was kind of interesting to I watch. Be- <laughs> and Bernie-, Bernie, Bernie was like, "Hey, I'm happy to hear listen to you, but if you don't want me to talk, I'll just go ahead and leave." And they're, you know, I guess they backed off at that point. But oh man, we've yeah. got can't we all just get along? Yeah, it kind of turns into a. Uh, a chaotic situation. The gunman who fatally shot five service members at Chattanooga, Tennessee Military Center last week suffered from depression. CNN reports that his family said in a statement Saturday, quote, it grieves us beyond belief to know that his pain found its expression in this heinous act of violence, the family said. Um, in their, those their first public comments. The shooting is being investigated as a potential act of domestic terrorism. The family goes on, there is no words to describe our shock, horror, and grief. The person who committed this horrible crime was not the son we knew and loved. Mm. So the family is obviously dealing with that. That's the side we never really think about. This is your kid. (sighs) How are your kids doing? Oh, well. Yeah. Let's not talk about my kids today. Becomes difficult. President Barack Obama sent the Iranian nuclear deal to Congress on Sunday, meaning the clock on the 60-day legislative. Uh, this, the legislation uh, legislators have 60 days to review the agreement, and that begins today. There is a strong Republican opposition to the deal. Obama says he will veto any legislation that is built to reject it. The U.S., along with five other world powers, you know, agreed on this historic mm. deal with. Iran. Yeah. So that that continues Sunday. Executives from Mitsubishi Materials Corporation offered a most remorseful apology to 900 American World War II POWs who were forced to work in the company's mines and industrial plants and in, endured harsh, severe hardships. About 12,000 POWs were forced to work at more than 50 sites in Japan to support the war effort during World War II. About 10% of those POWs died. The Japanese government issued a formal apology in 2009 to 2010, but the POWs have been trying to get the corporation to admit what they did and apologize to it. And they, mm. did, they did that yesterday in Los Angeles. Wow, an interesting timing with Trump's words. Yes, that <laughs> happened like the night before, and here they are apologizing to POWs oh, wow. for what, what was done there. It's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. A large bear broke into a Lions Colorado bakery and ate 24 pies, as we, a, along with now, us. We're not talking about the animal, a lion. A lion. It's Lions Colorado. Okay. And that's the city. There's a bakery. A large like... bear broke into this bakery. <laughs> I'm having some pie. Ate 24 pies and several bags of ingredients, sugar, cocoa, that Are we kind sure of stuff. it was a bear? Yeah, they said the destruction, it was a bear. The mischievous bear entered the uh, Colorado Cherry Company by breaking through a window, climbing it into the oven, where he proceeded to eat two dozen pies, as well as the ingredients. 
Uh, while it sounds as if the bear was an indiscriminate in his taste, like he just went crazy and ate everything, he only went for the apple and the cherry, leaving behind the strawberry rhubarb pie. Interesting. Yeah. Picky. Picky? Kind of picky. It sounds more like Homer Simpson. <laughs> you sure it wasn't homie? Was it just some, some guy that was hungry? <laughs> I don't know. That's crazy. So because of this, though, the bakery is getting higher than normal business. Oh, I'm sure. People are like, I want to see what happened. Support the. At first, I thought it was a lion that had a bakery, and the bear went in and broke in, and this was a battle between lions. No. Because you remember in Russia, all those animals got out. That's right. So I was thinking that was going down. Lions, Colorado. Yeah. A bear broke into the bakery. I like it. But I, I like strawberry rhubarb. Picky bear. You'd think a bear would just eat what's there. Maybe he was full. That was it. Maybe he was full. Interesting stuff. We're going to take a break, my friends. Come back. When we come back, Dr. Patrick Kruger will be on the phone with us talking about some of his latest research about uh, mortality rates that are attributed to lower levels of education. You know you're more likely to, to die younger if you don't have more education. Do you believe that research? We'll be talking to the source after this break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, throughout history, people have looked for ways to cheat death, from the fountain of youth to organic superfoods. Although adventures searching for the philosopher's stone sound like something straight out of a story, you know, because it is, Science Today is bringing us many tips about living longer. One of the keys to a longer life that scientists have found may surprise you, though. Dr. Patrick Kruger joins us. He is an assistant professor at the University of Colorado, Denver, and he recently published a study that found that education levels contributes to our longevity of life. He joins us now uh, with more on this study. Dr. Kruger, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Great. Excellent. It's great to have you on. Is it, uh, is it true, you know, education increases our longevity? Yeah, there's there's a substantial and growing amount of evidence that uh, education is is really pretty crucial for living a long and healthy life. Hmm. I mean, who to thunk? You know, yeah. it used to be just don't smoke cigarettes, don't drink and drive. Those were obvious killers. But education, how does it? How does this work? Teach us how having a higher education increases longevity. Yeah. So what what's great about education is that it occurs relatively early in life and has the potential to set individuals on healthy pathways throughout the rest of their lives. And it works through a series of different mechanisms, right? So, for example, more educated folks are less likely to live in poverty. They're likely to live in more likely, more educated folks are more likely to live in safer housing to have better jobs. Hmm. They're less likely to smoke. They're more likely to exercise. So it's a great point for thinking about, uh, you know, edu- education is great because it can improve health through a whole variety of different mechanisms. And it's interesting because it's we, we sit there and we try to um, like we try to go attack one of the symptoms, I guess, of some of these problems like smoking. Mm-hmm. When in reality, we may just as well go spend all the same energy improving and try to promote education. 
Yeah, and that's that's one of those things that makes education so fascinating is because it occurs so early in life. Yeah. In public health research, we know it's it's really difficult if an individual smokes. It's really difficult to get them to quit smoking. It's really difficult to get someone that, that's carrying 10 or 15 extra pounds to change their diet or to change their physical activity and maintain that. The great thing about education is it impacts all of those, and in many ways it works to prevent those things before they even start. And, and it really is something that we could get everybody or most people to do, right? We can get them into schools. We can get them learning. Does it matter to what degree of education we have? Yeah, so the, our paper, we, f- we focus first and foremost on just getting folks a high school degree. And we, we focused on that threshold because we think it's likely that virtually everybody can finish high school. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, we still have a substantial share of our population doesn't have a high school degree. What what percentage, just so we are informed? Uh, let's see. I think I've got it at about 25%. 25% of the U.S. population doesn't get a high school degree? Right. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah, let, let me amend that. I actually think that's 10%. I think it's 25% have some college but haven't completed their college degree, which we also examine in the paper. But uh, I'm, I've got the paper up in front of me, and I believe it's actually 10% doesn't have a high school degree. Okay, yeah, but see, even that number is incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And yet, and, and what attributes to that? What, what is that? Why is it that folks don't have high school yeah. degrees? You know, it's, uh, it, that's an interesting question. I don't do a lot of education research myself. Mm-hmm. But, in, you know, working on this project, we looked at that a little bit and you know, there are a whole variety of things that get folks to drop out of school earlier than they should. Yeah. Right. So some of that are things like school readiness, right? Just having basic, uh, you know, in some cases we know that just increasing access to preschool improves literacy and numeracy and ensures that kids are more likely to be prepared by the time they get to high school, right? Right. That advantage accumulates. Uh, and, of course, you know, different school districts in the United States vary in their ability to get folks through a high school degree. Um, and part of that is because some school districts have better resources, whether that's stronger staff, more money, uh, more support from the state legislature, and other schools have less of those things. So some of this could just be, uh, you know, situational, but some of it could even be just simply where, yeah, where you're living, your I mean, inner city kids might have a harder time, I'm assuming, just two-parent households probably are impacting it, uh, high school readiness, but also just learning disabilities. I mean, if we if a child has a learning disability that we haven't diagnosed early enough or quick enough, we might lose them through the system. Yeah, that's exactly right. Things like learning disabilities and also uh, mental or behavioral disorders are mm-hmm. also issues. And the thing is that most individuals can likely finish high school under the right circumstances, right? Yeah. But nevertheless, those are the kids that are, you know, they're more difficult for some school systems to deal with, and they're often given little nudges that make it easier for them to leave school. And then when they leave school, then the the likelihood of their longevity, their ability to get jobs, to get access to health care, and, and just to, you know, say no to certain things might decrease as well. Oh yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's pretty profound. I mean, that is that when you think about it, ten percent, one in ten kids is 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 likely to not finish, and because of that, 
die younger, really. In fact, you're, in your study, you actually predicted that 145,000 deaths could have been prevented in 2010 if adults without high school diplomas had actually earned one. You're actually making like predictions like that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is, our study rests on a whole slate of prior studies that document this association between education and mortality. And that, you know, different studies have challenged that association in various ways to, to see whether it really stands up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And by and large, the evidence suggests that it does. But our study, I think, is, is really interesting because even though we know that folks that I don't graduate high school have a higher risk of death, we want to see what that impact would look like when we apply it to the to 2010 U.S. population. How many, how many lives could we actually save? Interesting. 140. 5,000 deaths, plus just an additional 110,000 deaths were attributed to people that just had some college. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the threshold for comparing folks that have some college to those that get a college degree was mm-hmm. particularly interesting because those are the individuals that already showed an interest in going to college. They applied to college. And some college said that you 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 know they were suitable to be admitted into college, so they they got you know, in. College was willing to take a bet, and they said, but they still didn't finish. Hmm. Which uh, it's that's uh, that is really interesting data. They wanted it, they got in, they were they were far enough to get in, but for some reason they didn't finish, and because of that, their lifespan, their longevity, um, is is also their mortality uh, issues go up. It's and I, I've seen parallel studies that are about the same as um, making a marriage work as well. Like the ability to make a marriage work is more likely the higher educated you become too. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, one of the things that education does that gives you these profound social, psychological, and cognitive skills. Right, the ability to delay gratification, the ability to um, make decisions based on evidence to seek out new evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things, you know, they're great for, they're helpful for building strong relationships, whether those are friend, friend relationships, marital relationships, or what have you. Um, they're great for, you know, just having a cognitively interesting life. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, you know, that, that's part of why education is so great, because it works through those pathways. It's a fascinating study. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Patrick Kruger, professor, assistant professor at the University of Colorado, Denver. He's uh, he's teaching us about the importance of education and your longevity. You want to live longer. You want your kids to live longer, your grandkids to live longer. Then instead of focusing on health just alone, maybe you ought to be focusing on education. It might open up a lot more doors that uh, will produce healthier people. We'll be right back. More with Dr. Patrick Kruger right here on The Matt Townsend Show. To the show, this is uh, the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side, doing what we can to help you live longer. And today, an interesting study out about low education levels is just as hazardous to your health as smoking. A a recent study reveals 
And uh, one of the researchers on the study is joining us today, Patrick Kruger. He's a co-author of the study, is also a professor um, uh, at Colorado University of Colorado, Denver. He joins us. He's, he's trying to help us just understand what the study means. Dr. Kruger, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So is, is it true, though, that low education levels are just as hazard as smoking, as hazardous to your health as smoking? Yeah, that's what we find. We find that uh, individuals that don't finish uh, that don't finish high school uh, are as likely to die as those individuals that still smoke, as opposed to quitting smoking. Wow, isn't that amazing? So you went out and really grabbed census data from 1925 to 2010, and and then you've compared it and and been able to see you know education levels and. Um, and and it, and it makes a difference. Having a, a college degree is is going to provide the best shot, I guess. Or does it go up with higher graduate degrees? I mean, are you more likely to be healthier with a PhD than just a bachelor's degree? Yeah. So, so our our research and other research has shown that as with each level increase in education, survival goes up. Although. We're also hesitant to really emphasize the importance of getting a postgraduate right. degree yeah. just because, it's, you know, we're less certain about the causality at that point. Well, you're also a bunch of professors. So, yeah. you know, it's just like you're doing the study for yourself <laughs> <laughs> to make yourself look better. No, but it's true. Yeah, it's harder to influence or to know the causality at that level. And, and also, you know, when we think about like policy interventions – they could really have a big impact on the population. We have a lot of levers to pull and push on high school graduation. Mm-hmm. But by the time we get up to, you know, a master's degree or a doctoral degree of some sort, you know, it's we just don't even have the infrastructure. Even aside from the causality, it's not clear that we could really send everybody to go on and get there. Yeah. You know their their medical degree. Well, and it might it might also change the the pool, right? Because if the pool of all the people that are getting these advanced degrees are already maybe more driven, they might exactly. all they might already be more driven toward health anyway. Exactly right. Yeah. So I guess you, the lower you know, but but it also it, like you were saying when it comes to making policy decisions, it seems like if this research is accurate, it would be smart for us to make sure everybody gets a college degree. Yeah, certainly. Uh, certainly, we you know we've seen over the last few decades just impressive growth growth in the number of kids that go on to get a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. or they go on to start college, um, and I suspect that that'll continue to grow in the future, just given the changes in our labor force and you know the changing requirements of jobs that kids hold. Yeah, it also seems like though people are more stressed because of their college degrees because they're you know they're now laden with debt. They have, you know, they have to work longer hours. It seems like we're working longer. So in a weird way, it's almost counterintuitive, you know, because we are maybe killing ourselves to to get educated. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. You know, completing a college degree, for example, is a, it's a lot of work and it often takes a lot of money. Um, I think about it from the flip side, though, right, when it comes to survival. And we've also seen studies related to earnings, right? Right. Regardless of the stress and regardless of the cost, individuals with college degrees still come out ahead. Yeah, no, sure. And, and it, um, it, it would be just as stressful to be behind the eight ball, not having enough money or enough skills or education and to try to keep alive. 
Yeah, one thing that I think with education that's great is that, uh, you know, I think the types of stressors that individuals face as they move up the educational ranks change, right? Instead of worrying about finding enough food to eat or being able to make rent, now we get to worry about whether we want to work those extra hours or take a vacation um, and how we're going to satisfy our, our, our bosses, for example. Yeah. And that we also, you know, as we get more education, we're better able to uh, handle those stressors. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'll learn other methods of coping. You might even notice that you have certain issues. I mean, I, who hasn't taken a psychology class and thought, man, have I got depression? <laughs> have I got anxiety? <laughs> so all of a sudden there are other answers. Yeah. And, and I often see this in, uh, you know, my, in my studies and other studies that I've seen, you know, folks with the least amount of education, when that comes to relieving stress, they may turn to things like eating a lot of sugary or fatty foods yeah. or smoking cigarettes. Yep. If you get more education, you're more likely to turn to things like exercise. Interesting. Is, and is it, I mean, is, is that education that makes us turn that way or is it just who you are? Uh, you know, I mean, I turn to a Twinkie and I have yeah. a Ph.D. <laughs> yeah, and no, I, I think that uh, there's clearly some evidence that education plays a role, yeah. right? It doesn't determine everything, but it clearly pay, plays a role, right? Just knowing, for example, that exercising is a good trade-off for smoking mm-hmm. in terms of relieving stress, just that knowledge alone is going to be helpful. But also education you know, gives a person greater incentives, right? A more educated individual might say, well, uh, I can expect to live another 60 or 70 years, mm-hmm. right? If that's the case, it's worth investing in my health now because it'll pay dividends, you know, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Someone with less education and a lower income, they're likely to say, well, I may live 50 or 60 extra years, um, but I can't worry about that now. I've got too much stuff on my plate now, just finding money for rent, buying groceries, et cetera. And, and two, I guess education would inform everything. It would inform how you invest your money as you're making it. It would inform if you invest it, how uh, you spend it, how you manage things. Right. And, and probably even more more important than how you invest it is just uh, earning enough money to live on in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And, and like you're saying, it's the lowest. I mean, education is kind of the, the easiest barrier to entry for all of these other problems. Like, just educate people. Just do that, and we increase longevity. That's, you know, we're not saying we have to fix every minute problem that could arise. Use all that same effort to just get people educated. Yeah. And in some way, in, uh, in public health, we often call that a very upstream approach, right? Rather than focusing on changing an individual's behaviors or changing an individual's outlook on the world. If we can intervene early in life, we can set the stage for changing a whole series that's sort of like a cascade of benefits mm. that, that take place over the next 50, 60, 70 years. Well, what are you hoping happens then? And I guess a lot of it might be upstream approaches. Uh, what are you hoping will happen or come from this research? Yeah, I, I think about, you know, my, my co-authors and I, when we thought about this research, we were really thinking about how can we make a case to policymakers that suggests that when we think about health policy, for example, in the United States, we should put education in the mix. Yeah. Right? Often when we think about improving the health of our population at the national level, we think about improving access to insurance, improving medical care, 
uh, and things of that nature, which is great. But, you know, I always think about it this way, right? There's only so much that better medical care can do to improve your lifespan, Mm -hmm. right? By the time you walked into your doctor's office at the age of 30 for a checkup, you've already been smoking, you've been exposed to poverty, you may have been experiencing stressful life conditions. You may have had a marriage that goes up and down. You may have an awful job. Uninsured and, for your entire life. Yeah. And, yeah. And, a, and a physician can't write a prescription to fix all of those things, right? They can only deal with the problems that come into their office, mm-hmm. right? So the great thing about education is it can really intervene on those things before it even gets to a physician's office, which promises a much greater impact. Um, and I think you know, conversely, we also think about this as being a useful article for education researchers who are used to focusing on on solely the economic benefits of education. Uh-huh. And, you know, our findings suggest there are real health benefits as well, right? Which means that in some ways education is worth even more than we thought it was before this study or before this body of research came out. Well, it seems like you're right. The education's if you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, one of the first things they will do is send you to a class to be educated on type yeah. 2 diabetes. So we already use education in every, you know, kind of health uh, intervention we do. Yeah. So, But this is just saying more generally, get people more used to being educated before the diagnosis in life. Exactly right. And think about it this way. When you go to a, a class to learn about how to manage your diabetes, they're focusing on your specific condition, mm-hmm. right? How do you manage your insulin? What types, what times of day? What, how do you manage that around meals and so on? Right. But all of that's going to make a lot more sense if you have the basic literacy, the that's basic true. numeracy, and the analytical and critical thinking you need to really take those ideas and make them work in your life. That's true. How hard is it to manage your sugar levels if you have a hard time with math or exactly. a hard time with with understanding stuff? I mean, it really seems like no duh, but we need a study to figure it out. Isn't that – what is that, Dr. Kruger? It seems like a no-brainer, except you, it's almost like you needed the study to now convince everybody. Yeah, well, in, in some ways, that's the, you know, that's the nature of uh, public health and medical research, right? Right. We have an idea that seems at first blush like it's, it's sort of almost implausible, right? And then over the course of decades, we accumulate evidence, we make the case, so that by the time we get to the, you know, a couple of decades later, we think, wow, of course this is important, right? It's the, it's the benefit of retrospect in many ways. Right. I mean, if it is, if it's true that this, this could have averted 250,000 deaths, uh, it's, I mean, in, in 2010, then, yeah. you know. If if that was every year, that's a million deaths in four years. Yeah, it's 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 something we got to work on. Do you worry about these millennials? One of the things I just heard about the millennial generation is they're less inclined to go get a, get an education. Oh, that's interesting. I have to, you know, at least based on what I've seen over the last thirty years, uh, finish. You know, certainly enrolling in college and completing college, those rates have grown over the last thirty years. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I always think about it this way, right? Like my my parents could have a great job without having college degrees. Right. Um, nowadays, that's a lot harder. Um, but it is, uh, you know, for me, what's really 
kind of distressing based on this research are the just real inequalities, right? Folks that don't have access to a good high school where they can get a good degree and finish that degree oh. are kind of left behind. Yeah, and you're, I mean, destined to have to live a shorter lifespan. Yeah, a shorter lifespan, lower earnings, and you can imagine how that then impacts their children, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that disadvantage can carry forward over time. Oh, that's profound. And and really, we are, it, it is a death sentence, right? It's, you know, it's, it's as if we had placed them next to a nuclear plant <laughs> back <laughs> in the day. not quite that bad. No, exactly. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting that we just sit there and say, oh, yeah, I mean, if, if they want to get out of those inner cities or whatever, they can get out of those. Well, yeah. except for the fact that they don't have the same education, they don't have the same health benefits, they don't have the same Man, it really is important research. What uh, what would you suggest to the rest of us, just the average Joe, when it comes to what we can do in our world, in our circle of influence? Yeah, I, well, I think that first and foremost, the key is if you've got kids or you've got you know uh, relatives, you've got uh, nephews and nieces, encourage them to stay in school. Right, that's a, that's a huge thing. Yeah, um, many of the benefits that come with education an individual can pursue on their own, right? If you didn't read all of the classics in college because you didn't go to college, you can still read those. Yeah. Uh, you know, school provides an environment to interpret them and put them in context and really take what would otherwise be a fun read into a brand new perspective on the world. Hmm. Um, so encourage folks to stay in school. Um, I think, you know, that, that I think is the biggest thing to think about. And, and then maybe those that are, uh, that are maybe beyond school, you know, maybe they, they're mid-career professionals. They don't feel like they have the ability to go back. I guess they could still continue learning and, yeah. and being educated. In, in fact, uh, our study doesn't look at this particularly, but other studies have. They just look at the number of years that individuals go to school as opposed to particular degrees. Mm-hmm. And certainly we find that individuals that just have more schooling total generally have healthier lives, right? So that suggests there's no harm in, you know, if you're looking for a a class after work, whether it's in, like, pottery or literature or whatever, you know, that can still provide benefits, right? It helps to connect you to new new and stronger social networks. It helps you to maintain the sort of plasticity or elasticity in your brain and how you see the world. Mm. Um, so the benefits can even work then as well. So, so there's hope. Don't give up. Keep, yeah. keep studying. And but, but we ought to. I mean, because it's easy to like you know see somebody that's really gifted, and just you know you're doing great. You're gifted. You're naturally already building an app that makes millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. But it still would be worth keeping them in school. Keep studying. Get your degree. Interesting. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I you know that I like to point out is that. Even if you're not one of those like crazy, you know, brilliant, gifted individuals, mm-hmm. the average person can still get great benefits from education. Yeah, right. You don't have to become a nuclear scientist or work for NASA in order to really reap some of these benefits. Well, yeah. Apparently, you just get healthier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, which ought to be enough. Man, powerful stuff, Dr. Patrick Kruger. We appreciate you and the great uh, work you're doing. Again, uh, keep it up, and we'd love to have you back. Talk more about this uh, as soon as you find out more. I, I mean, maybe maybe we're going to end up – think of this. 30 more years of us understanding the power of education might change a lot. Dr. Patrick Kruger, again, thank you so much from the University of Colorado, Denver. 
Uh, interesting, interesting stuff. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, do a quick little uh, coach's corner. Find out, uh, you know, more about learning. Well, and learning for you. How do you keep on that game? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, how many times have you had, you know, a generation older than you just give you their little pearls of wisdom? Little pearls like, stay in school, kids, right? Stay in school. And you think, oh, come on. You don't understand. But you know what's interesting is, and maybe we really ought to be um, more uh, attentive to what our adults, our seniors are telling us. We've always known that if you stayed in school, it was better for you maybe financially, educationally. Well, yeah, but it wasn't better for Bill Gates. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. So don't do that then. But um, you're not Bill Gates. But for the average Joe, we know financially you're better off staying in school. You know? Makes sense, Right. So when our parents or grandparents just sit there and say, and they and they spew some line that feels like it's just old-fashioned, maybe we really ought to pay attention. Because apparently it's not old-fashioned to stay in school. It's actually just smart. When they say, you know, make sure you, you, um, you, you're careful with your job. Maybe it's not just old-fashioned. Maybe there's something smart about that. Or, you know, when they talk about concerns about what this social media world's going to do to us, we just call them naive. They don't understand the technology. But there is wisdom that is being handed down, and an example of it is stay in school and get educated. And I've even fallen prey to it because I look at certain people that I'm not sure— Education is going to improve their financial situation. They're already doing great financially, and yet it, it did never dawned on me that it might improve their health. It might improve their reasoning skills. It might improve their ability to be more objective with data. It might it might just improve their ability to research to to do a Google search. Oh well, Google searches are easier. Well, yeah, but if you go take a graduate program and learn how to do Boolean searches, which is more than anyone would ever want to learn about, you actually can find a lot of stuff easier just by knowing how to enter in a search into a search engine. And again, not skills most of us get unless we go to school, to college. Well, but, you know, we had we talked about Shakespeare last week. Do we really need to read Shakespeare? I don't know. I don't know. Do, yeah, you probably do. Because he was a philosopher, really. Education. But maybe the point of all of this is don't just dismiss something as old-fashioned because it's coming from somebody that's a senior. When your grandparents tell you to stay in school, it's good for you, they may have been on to something. And when they tell you that, you know, you probably need to turn your music down once in a while or turn your phones off. It's just wise. 
So as a younger generation, we fight it, you know. We just think it's old-fashioned. We can easily dismiss our parents by saying they just don't understand. But in all honesty, maybe they do. Because now research is actually validating some of this. You are healthier if you stay in school. Again, I was raised by two parents, neither of which had college degrees, both of which had a tiny bit of college but quit. And my dad made a good living, and my mom made a good living. And yet, you know, we, I think, in fact, you know, three of the four kids of my parents have all got advanced degrees. Does it make us healthier? Apparently, it gives us more opportunities. So, and interestingly, all of their grandkids, all of them are going to college so far. So it is something we can hand down. Let's, let's look to our seniors with a little bit more respect, like they have a clue. And let's just not assume that we can go fix every problem by getting everyone educated. But you know what? It doesn't hurt. And so maybe we need to push on our policymakers a little bit more. Maybe we need to make uh, sure that everybody has the same access and right to education. And don't just assume that, you know, every city and every community does because it's not true. There are certain areas in this country where if you can make it out and get into college, you've created something pretty powerful for yourself. You've broken a major barrier. So it's, uh, it's education, folks. It does a body good. It's just as good as milk. Good stuff. Good stuff, folks. Uh, that's the Coach's Corner. We're going to take a break, come back, and start a whole new hour of the Matt Townsend Show. In fact, next hour we'll be bringing in our great, uh, our great uh, friend Brian Willoughby here from Brigham Young University. He's a professor in relationships, and um, he's going to talk to us about the need to belong. Everybody's got it. How do you handle it? Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Hey, uh, this just in... Oh, you ought to be terrified. If you if you have ever heard of the website Ashley Madison, you should be shaking in your boots. Uh, Ashley Madison is a is a it's a dating site that helps people cheat. It helps their customers cheat on their spouses. Life is short is one of their slogans. Have an affair. Yes, there's such a company. It exists. I'm not going to keep mentioning the name. But uh, it's a company that uh, has 37 million members who are trying to find someone to cheat with. And guess what? They have had a hack. Somebody has hacked into their system, and guess what? According to Brian Krebs, the blogger behind Krebs on Security, there's been a breach in security on this website, and now all of these members could have their access, access to their information and the hackers are saying they're going to spread all of their information. They're going to get it out there. Game on, folks, unless the site is taken down. Unless somebody takes the site down, they're going to start spreading these uh, the information of these members, which includes a lot of personal information. 
some of their preferences and fetishes and weird stuff like that. Crazy town. And interestingly, though, this website has uh, supposedly been offering for a $19 fee that they would delete all of your information. It's a full delete service to make sure that none of your information would get out, that your, your name would not be retained on their servers. And people were paying $19, but apparently nobody's names were deleted. So it's, it's a problem. It's a ruse. Ah, this is now where our little messed up minds get us in trouble, isn't it? And that, this, is, this site is a site that is actually half of the size of another really popular site that I won't give you the name to that had a similar situation um, a little while ago. They have 65 million viewers or customers. Cheaters. Cheaters. So a website that helps you cheat has now uh, been hacked. And so anybody that went in and entered their information and became a member, well, great. Now wives across the country, husbands across the country are going to be checking these websites to see if their spouse's name is on it. Folks, this is where this is where we got to get serious about technology because there is no such thing as privacy. And already the site was disgusting anyway. Who needs to promote cheating? Well, they made a lot of money on it. So anyway, congrats. Now that brings us to our topic today, the need to belong. Dr. Brian Willoughby will be joining us here from Brigham Young University. He is uh, he's our, our resident expert on all things um, relationships and all things marriage, all things dating. Today he's going to be teaching us about the need to belong and what an impactful uh, need that is. And we'll be going over some of his research on that. So we'll, we're excited to have him on in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's go to the headlines, find out what's happening around the country. Again, Donald Trump is in the news. He's back. Making comments and then making more comments. And as we saw this morning, uh, before the show started, Matt, you and I were watching a video with uh, was it Senator uh, Ted Cruz. Yes. Being interviewed. Ted likes him. And, uh, you know, as you're a presidential candidate, as you pointed out, the first thing you don't want to hear is a question about somebody else <laughs> when you're running for president. And every time they start. Can we talk about Donald for well, a minute? Let's talk about Trump here. So, Ted Cruz, you can kind of feel his pain a little bit. Over the weekend, uh, Donald Trump criticized Arizona Senator John McCain for his uh, some of the things he's done, or as in Donald Trump has said, hasn't done when it come when it's come to uh, returning servicemen, people who have been in the armed forces, and the level of medical care they can uh, they can get. And there's been problems with that with the uh, Veterans Administration, as we've heard in the news. But he he went as far also saying that John McCain is not a war hero. He is a war hero because he was captured. Trump said, "I mm. like people who weren't." captured. Mm. Later, when asked about his comments on McCain, Trump denied saying McCain was not a war hero and said, if somebody is a prisoner, I consider them a war hero. Texas Governor Rick Perry, who has served in the military, released a statement calling Trump's comments a new low in American politics. His attack on veterans makes him unfit to be commander in chief, and he should immediately withdraw from the race for president. Other comments, Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal, here's his comments. After Donald Trump has been a prisoner of war for six years, then he's in a position to actually comment on and criticize the senator's record. The senator's a war hero. We all owe him a debt of gratitude. He served our country honorably, put on our nation's uniform, 
Those men and women are our heroes. They ran towards danger, not away from it. Trump has said he will not apologize for the comments and he will not drop out of the race, as some of his opponents have suggested. So that Mm. continues. (laughs) Congress was uh, over the weekend given the uh, Iranian uh, nuclear deal. The Iran's supreme leader, the Ayatollah Khomeini, says that whether or not Iran approves the nuclear deal reached by diplomats earlier this week, the nation will keep its anti-U.S. policy. Quote, we will never stop supporting our friends in the region and the people of Palestine, Yemen, Syria, Iraq, Bahrain, and Lebanon. He said uh, this while addressing it in a mosque Saturday. Even after this deal, our policy towards the arrogant U.S. will not change. Khomeini said recent U.S. presidents have sought surrender from Iran and that if the two countries went to war, the U.S. would suffer, quote, a broken head. Ouch. Yeah. If we went to war, you would suffer a broken head. (laughs) It seems like, you know. Might be a translation. Yeah, it probably is. Situation there. Uh, Cuba's official embassy in Washington, D.C. will open its doors today as the island nation's fully restored diplomatic relations with the U.S. began at midnight. The U.S. interest section in Cuba has also transitioned into an official diplomatic mission, marking the first time the two... Uh, Havana and Wa- Havana and Washington have had embassies for the uh, other co- other countries since 1961. Hmm. So that process continues. Yes. Over the weekend, vi- video of a not really a shark I, attack is seems sort Just of a, a tease. A, a, more of a, is it a shark a, tease? I think a shark drive by. The pro surfer wasn't bitten. Well, but he well it was it was an attack of his board. Okay, his surfboard was attacked. Now, we're not minimizing this. No, this you, was crazy. You, you watch the video, this uh, this pro surfer by the name of Mick Fanning is a three-time world champion. Yeah. He's out there in the surf waiting for his turn to compete, and right behind him, uh, a fin from the shark just pops up out of the water uh. and comes at him. So we have a clip of what uh, uh, something he said after, as he was interviewed after this interaction with the shark. I'm totally fine. I've got nothing wrong with me. There's like a small depression in my board, and just my leg rope got bitten, and... I'm just like, just totally tripping out. <laughs> He's tripping out. That's the perfect explanation, tripping out. A small depressioning in the board. Yeah. The but, shark bit his surfboard. But see, what do you do? Do you fight for your board? I mean, I he, try to keep the board with me. He started kicking and punching. His, yeah. I don't. What else do you do? He said he, he made contact a couple times with the animal, and uh, yeah, then he was freaking I, out. I love it when everybody gives advice. So what you do... Yeah. With a shark attack, all you do is you go for their eyes. Yeah, just think about this. Well, I mean, and that's great. I mean, really, that's great to know. But when you really, you just start squealing like a pig and right. you just start swimming. <laughs> Mr. Fanning was uh, pulled from the water uh, after a few moments. It took a little while for them to get to him, mm. but uh, some jet skis and boats came up. Safety crews took him out of the water. The World Surf League canceled the event for the day because obviously we yeah. have shark-infested waters. But you know what's interesting? They didn't really take him out of the water. He got on the back of a jet ski's, uh, like a, it was like a, a swim board, yeah, yeah, like a little trailer thing that and follows they the jet. Pulled ski. him around a little bit, but he he still stayed there on his knees. Like I would have been on the guy's shoulders yeah. on the jet ski, <laughs> just crawling, just out wrapping of the water. my body around his head. He was a little. Uh, little concern for his personal safety that at that was point. amazing. Last week, this is some big news here, Matt. What? I want you to pay attention here. Okay, I'll sit up. Last week, the top-ranked math students from high schools around the country yes. went head-to-head with co- competitors from more than 100 countries at the International Mathematical Olympiad in Thailand. Mm. 
Sounds like a party. Now, where are our math? Where do we rank as a nation math-wise versus the rest of the world? I would say we would rank in the about twelfth. I don't know if we're that high. Really, we've we've slipped back as a as a country when they come to these yeah. tests and just our numbers have slipped in science and math and those sort of things. So this kind of a story is a big deal. Yeah, as it looks like we might be making a comeback. Ooh. Little tease there. We're coming back. And for the first time in more than two decades, 21 years, the team won. Our U.S. Olympic team. USA. Our U.S. math Olympic team. That won. is fantastic. It was held at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. Head yep. coach, or the, the coach is from Carnegie Mellon University, says the competition held over the course of two days. Students work on three math problems. The coach says if you can solve even one of these questions, you're basically a genius. They're really difficult questions. Yeah. The U.S. team last won the Olympiad in 1994. Reports in recent years have raised concerns that American math students are falling behind those in the rest of the world. But the coach says, at least in this case, with the Olympiads, we've been able to prove that our top Americans are certainly at the level of the top people from other countries. I'll bet they were story problems. Possibly. If the train is heading north <laughs> at 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I could never do math problems. No. But, you know, Townsend's don't do math. No, you, we we hire people to do our math. You have people. I have Ben do our math every day, <laughs> and Ben's an engineer student. So yeah, the U.S. Eh. Math Olympiad team we won for the first time in 21 years. That's really cool. So if you're you're a fan of the Math Olympiad, this yeah, is yeah. your day. That today's the day. <laughs> Mathematicians unite. It's like women's soccer. They had their day. Mathematicians, yep. boom! America, proud to be an American. Again, that doesn't get a lot of play. But they need to. Well done. Well done. Let's uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll have Dr. Brian Willoughby joining us, teaching us about the need to belong, that important need that every uh, every one of us has. What happens when we, you know, sometimes we might lose ourselves in our need to belong. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, joining us in studio, Dr. Brian Willoughby. He's an assistant professor here in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. He's also the director of the Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. If you go to RelateInstitute.com, just a great resource that uh, you can go take assessments and, and just get training education about your relationships uh, but uh, we always ask Brian to come on, to and, and we like to pick his brain. Yeah. It's just this big, gnarly brain, and we just like to get in there and just pick and pick and pick. Talk to us about, you say one of the most basic human needs is to belong. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Because don't we, you know, you're married or whatever, you belong. Right. You know, you're each other's, whatever that means. Yeah, it's... It's when we talk about a need to belong, we're talking about almost this this need to have other people care about us and and be looking out for our well being. Yeah. We, we we have this desire to have other people want to want to to know what's up with us and want to know what what we need in our life on a day to day basis. Yeah, and, and so really, it's it's is it something different than having needing a friend? It it can be a friend. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes based on which part of our life. 
we're at. If right. you look at younger kids, particularly adolescents, that need to belong in social circles with peers is huge, mm-hmm. right? That's where we get a lot of yeah. it. We, we don't want our parents to give us that anymore. Right. We That's want weird. from our friends. Um, as we get later in life, in adulthood, it, it oftentimes is romantic relationships, and whether it, it's marriage or, or other relationships in our life. So it starts, too, though, as a kid, as a as a child, I want to belong to my parents. I want right. my parents to – so they provide that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this gets into that whole this gets into the attachment issues yes. and the need to 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 know you're safe, you mm-hmm. belong to somebody that you're safe there to grow and develop. Right. I'm safe. Someone will take care of me. Mm-hmm. Right? Cuz even though we we all innately want to take care of ourselves, we have that survival instinct. There is yeah. also this this need to want other people to look out for me too, that someone else will be there for me. Someone else will have my back. What happens when we don't feel like we have that? Mental health Depression, yeah. anxiety. Um, in fact, a, a lot of those kind of very basic mental health issues that a lot of people have are, are based in loneliness. That's usually how it gets manifested, mm. as people describe. I'm just lonely mm. all the time. I don't feel like I have. I don't feel like anyone understands me. Um, but it's usually based in those attachment issues and in that that desire to belong to with other people. How do you? How do you fix that? I mean, a lot of that is that's that there is mental health one on one, really. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if somebody has this, you might be more detached. You might be less likely to find a healthy relationship. Right. Yeah. You pull away too easy. Yeah. Well, it, it depends because this can range. I mean, yeah. you can go all the way to someone that's really struggling with this that might need professional help and a therapist to help them work through some of those issues. Um, but really, the other thing this gets into is is all this research we have on the power and benefit of long term marriages. Hmm. We know that people that are married are healthier physically and mentally, and, and a lot of that is you've got someone there for you that's got your back. You've got that sense of belonging, at least if it's a healthy relationship, um, and th- that's, that's why marriage is so powerful for so many people. Mm. I mean, it really is when you think about – but they also get boring, I guess, too, because so, <laughs> you would think that once you're married, you finally have this one person that you know has your back. You can always go to them. But then maybe we fade. We fade in that relationship. Yeah. What happens there? A little bit. It, it, it changes yeah. over time. But we, the other thing we know about marriages that last for several decades is they become much more based on commitment. There's that safety. There's I, I know that person, even if it's, again, a little boring maybe. Yeah. I know that person's there for me. They understand me more. And th- this is actually very powerful for men. In particular, really, again, back to that research about the benefits of marriage for men, that's particularly true. And one of the interesting things we see when people get married, a lot of women tend to keep their social circles. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of men drop them. Yeah, you know, I, I got keep all I need. <laughs> yeah, I've, and they put a lot of their emotional investment in their wives, a lot of their social needs into their wives. That's the person that I can come talk to. That's the person I can come confide in about my day, about my struggles, You know, even though we're men. So we only do that a little bit, but yeah. that's that person I can focus on. And interestingly, it seems like then, so the marriage relationship is distinct from just any even cohabitating dating relationship romantic relationship mm-hmm. because because we have a commitment what's the difference yeah commitment is is huge one of my uh colleagues out at the University of Denver Scott Stanley has, oh, has written him. a lot about yeah, he's this. been on the show a couple of times yeah and and he he talks about the power of that commitment to someone that the knowing that i if i mess up you're kind of stuck with me and it sounds kind of you know like, well, I don't want you to be stuck <laughs> yeah. with me. Deal but, with it. <laughs> yeah. But there is something about knowing that in my uh-huh. head that we are committed to each other. We've made those vows um, to each other. And so I can rely on you. That's huge. Yeah. So so if we're in a relationship and let's say we're married 
and we we don't necessarily feel we feel like this need this this attachment this need to belong is slipping. Mm-hmm. What do we do? What do we is it fixable? It is. Yeah, it's definitely fixable. And this is actually again a lot of the basic relation advice you hear out there connects back to this things like date nights mm-hmm. and things like just talk spending time talking and reconnecting with each other. Um, can redevelop that that bond, that sense that we we know each other, we understand each other's lives, um, that that you're the person I come and talk to about my fears and my anxieties, and so you, so being open with those things too. That's huge, and, and it it is. So if you're not seeing that connectedness, then you right. probably need to right. get serious about it. Yeah, and, and back to the date night ideas. I think some people get this idea of well. I need to date my spouse, and so that means we need to go have fun and go to a movie and go to right. dinner. And Keep it exciting. Yeah, it's, it's not really about what you're doing. It's about what you're doing while you're on that date. Are we getting away from the kids? Are we getting away from everything and talking about our lives, about what's going on, and, 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 and again, having that time to connect with yeah. each other? I mean, it's almost like it's it, – we always think we get bored with our spouses, mm-hmm. but it's really more we just feel kind of disconnected. Right. And, we, and the so – the, everything you're saying about those date nights, those are kind of predictable. Let's just go talk, mm-hmm. and but let's let's actually talk and be vulnerable, right? And the being talking and vulnerable actually will create more connectivity than having a really fun date. Oh yeah, you know, water skiing. Yeah, because you, you can go do something really fun with your kids or uh-huh. with a coworker or with yeah. someone else. It's it's those deeper conversations we can have with our spouse that makes the relationship unique. This is different than when I do those type of things with everyone everyone else. Mm, powerful. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Brian Willoughby, uh, who is an assistant professor here at School of uh, Family Life at Brigham Young University and also the director of the Relate Institute. We'll come back, continue talking about belonging. And by the, by the way, maybe this lack of belonging is why somebody turns to an affair. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Um, love, it's complicated, but actually seems pretty easy when you talk to Brian Willoughby. We'll be right back. More with Dr. Willoughby right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Dr. Brian Willoughby, Assistant Professor of School of Family Life at Brigham Young University, also the director of the Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit uh, organization dedicated to help you uh, understand and improve your romantic relationships. If you go to RelateInstitute.com, just tons of great uh, resources, tools, ideas there to help you. Uh, But uh, Dr. Brian, you... You're, you've got a weird job because here you are. You're researching relationships, romantic relationships. Then you go home and live it, mm-hmm. and then you blow it. That's right. But you you have a quote that you've brought up before that I love about love. Yeah. What is it? Give us your phrase. It's it, it's something when I when I teach my marriage classes, I've got a couple of mottos that I drill into their brains from the first day yeah. onward, and this is one of them. It's just because I love you forever doesn't mean I'm going to like you every day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's normal. That is. I can love yeah. you forever and be committed to being yeah. in, but I may not like you right now. Right. And it, it captures the day-to-day reality of real relationships, that they're even in the best 
most romantic storybook relationships, there are days where you're going to look at your spouse and say, I don't like you. You right drive now. me crazy. You drive me crazy. And it's going to go the other way, too. Yeah. Um, but we know there's there's lots of great research out there now um, that shows that relationships fluctuate up and down. And, and every relationship has downs, and then they tend to get better, and then they stay pretty average for a while. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have a couple weeks that are awesome. And that's that's just the reality of relationships. So but what if if every human has a basic need to belong, mm-hmm. then how do they handle the idea that it's going to fluctuate and go up and down? Mm-hmm. Unless, like you said earlier, that they know you're committed. So somehow you have to emphasize you're committed. Right. And get them to believe that. Yeah, there's got to be things you do in your relationship that remind you of that commitment. You know, we have basic things like anniversaries Mm -hmm. and and, and other things like that. But it's got to be more regular. There's got to be little moments on a regular basis, you know, whether it's little words like I love you or other things that just show that person I'm committed to you and just to you. And daily, regularly. Yeah, regularly. Because yes. if they don't see the commitment, then when times get tough, they start to drift like, uh. Right, exactly. And then that creates anxiety and then maybe a fight or flight moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, then eventually over time, if if we don't have that, the negative stuff continues to brew and build. Mm-hmm. And, and then I start having doubts. Yeah. Are you actually there for me? And then we actually just look for evidence that proves you're not. Right. Because you, mm-hmm. you look, you're going with your family here. Yep. And it becomes that, this. that cycle, that self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, the, the fancy word we use for that is negative sentiment override. That's uh, our ooh. academic term, N- right? Neg- negative negative NSI. sentiment oh, oh, NSO. override. But basically what that means is that over time, if we have all these negative things that happen, I start interpreting everything that you do yeah. as a negative. And in fact, just in my class last week, we were talking about this. And I give the example of, of knocking a water glass over at a dinner table. And, you know, just complete accident. My spouse knocks it over. But if I have that, I might look at that and say, well, great. Well, you're not going to clean that up because you never do anything. I'm going to have to do it. Here we go again. (laughs) Ruin another dinner. Ruin another dinner. You never knock over the glass when you make the dinner, only when I make the dinner. Exactly. And then that sort of little thing can can ruin a relationship. Oh, my heavens. And that's that's a natural tendency once you're kind of... Mm-hmm. In this fight or flight spiral, yeah, exactly. The fearful, yep. Which it all goes back to just wanting to belong, right? But so this this whole thing could be cast. The die could be set from my parents. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that was the first relationship for most people where I learned: can I trust people that I love? Hmm. You know, were my parents these these caregivers for me? Were they there for me when I was crying? And this is a, if you go back to the attachment stuff. Yeah. This is very very early on. But because I need to know that predictably my closest relationships are there for me, allow me to grow, mm-hmm. and I can go back to. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm either going to learn that or I'm going to learn that, hey, the people that you're supposed to count on, you can't trust. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to just have to rely on myself. Or maybe it's inconsistent. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And so then what I'm going to learn is I'm going to push and push and push and yeah. hope that one of these times you reciprocate. And and some then get too clingy because mm-hmm. they're afraid of you leaving them. Yep. Some get kind of withdrawing and they just dismiss you. They just they just are always mm-hmm. disconnected from you. Yes. Yeah. So one's aggressive, one's kind of detached. Yes. Or you could do a mix of all of them. Yep. Or you could be a little bit of all. <laughs> just enjoy all of them. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to use them, I like to use all of them. Yeah. Um, that's all, what you're telling me, though. That's all natural relationship stuff. These yeah. are natural relationship issues. So if somebody's doing that dance where they can't tell if their partner's in or not. Mm-hmm. They're probably, we could probably just know that somebody needs to know that they belong. 
Yeah. And that goes back to that open communication is that, you know, whatever partner I'm in, I am, if I'm the partner that's, that's fearful that you're not committed to me, you're going to leave. Or if I'm the partner that tends to withdraw and, 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 and disengage a little bit, I have to be open with my partner and, and talk about those fears and anxieties. And then my partner has to be understanding hmm. that I'm not perfect. You know, if I'm with someone that tends to withdraw, I have to be willing to say, okay, that's who they are, and they might not want to talk right now, but it's something we're working on together and individually. Yeah. It's such a powerful thing. And and yet, because it really, it seems like it's the it's kind of the energizer behind a lot of our conflict, a lot of the divorce. Yes. Yes. The That, that feeling of loneliness um, that sets in, um, again, with couples that become really unhealthy in their patterns, whether it's communication, whether it's conflict, eventually there becomes that that sense of loneliness. Yeah, I'm with that person. Yeah. We, we have this house together. We have these kids together maybe. But I don't feel like I'm connected. I've lost that. And it feels really, really lonely. Mm. And then there's that desire to, I need to go find that somewhere else, which is where a lot of affairs come from. Um, or just, I need to get away from this because it's yeah. oppressive for me. Yeah. And I mean, I know guys that just get on these, you know, these cycling teams mm -hmm. and they just go cycle yeah. 30 miles a night yep. Yep. just because they don't have to think about it. Yeah. Then. I can disappear into a hobby. I can disappear into video games. I mm. can disappear into work. You know, whatever it is, I'm going to, I'm going to get somewhere else because I don't have to focus on this loneliness, this, this emptiness. So if that's, if that's the case, we, we need to talk more about it. We need to maybe get more real about it. I mean, is there research we should read? Is there are there places does on Relate Institute? Are are there tools for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've actually done several blog posts about belonging and attachment and some of the latest research. You know, one of the things we're trying to do with that is is take the latest research studies that no one will read because they're boring. Right, they'll put you to sleep. Yeah, um, and translate them and do these nice little succinct blog posts. Like, hey, here here is what if you want to know what the latest research is on research. Here's what it is. And we just throw it up there for anyone that wants to read it. That's great. Um, but then we do have the assessment tools as well that, that you can take if you're worried about your relationship or you just want to know what your relationship is like. Um, we have attachment measures in Relate, and so that's part of the assessment. And so you can take it. And then in part of your report, it'll say, here's kind of what your attachment is looking like. Here's what your partner is. Mm. And here's how you go together. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And you don't have to be hopeless. Because right. if you're at an extreme level of this, mm -hmm. there's hope. Oh, yeah. Because – You've been doing a battle for 20-something years without ever knowing what the cause was. Right. Now you're now – you can start addressing the cause. Yeah. Knowledge is always power in relationships. So the first step is just understanding what's going on and then it's just trying to work through it day by day and, and, and trying to move forward and having goals and being okay with setbacks. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, growing together with your partner. That's yeah. the biggest thing in marriage. What if it's just too – like what if you sense your partner has too big of a need? It's mm -hmm. still an attachment issue, but they're just – they're an aggressive attacher that mm -hmm. needs – they always need you. It's constantly needing you. Right. It's the same problem. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just the extreme form. Right. Then you should have done a better job dating. Yeah. <laughs> you should have picked a <laughs> you better. Should have picked better. Right. But, I, you know, if you've got someone like that, you can you can be a facilitator then. And you, you still want to do all these things we're talking about and do things together. But maybe you have a, a partner that does still need a lot of – 
peer interactions. And mm-hmm. so maybe part of my job is, hey, I'm going to set up a friend's night for you once yeah. a week, you know, because I know that's something that you need. And I'm going to be I'm not going to nag about it. I'm not going to, you know, but it's going to be something we plan together. Instead right. of you just telling me you're disappearing yeah. and I'm not involved, I'm going to help facilitate it a little bit. And, and maybe I think I'll even be a part of it every once in a while. Um, and so it still becomes something we're doing together. It's still a joint goal we're working on. But now we can help you, facil- you know, if, if if you're putting everything on me, mm-hmm. I can share the wealth. Yeah, a bit. share it a bit. Yeah. Oh, man, Brian, it's good stuff. I mean, it really, and again, to just think that it's pretty normal. Yeah. And the answers just end up being communication right. and be real about what's going on. Yeah. All of us have felt lonely. Oh, yeah. Even, even again, in the best families and the best relationships, everyone has those moments where they feel kind of alone. And that's perfectly normal. That's cool. It really is. Because, and, and, you, and don't seek healthy togetherness, not unhealthy togetherness. Right. Seek a, a togetherness that facilitates your mission, your purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm. Brian Willoughby's his name. Uh, he's a professor, associate assistant professor here at Brigham Young University. But go to the website, relateinstitute.com. He's the director of Relate Institute. It's the real deal. Tons of assessments, tools. And check out the blog, the Relate blog. You'll, you'll basically get everything, a download of Brian's brain. But, you know, some of the stuff you don't need won't be there. It'll be healthy and clean. Good stuff. Brian Willoughby's his name. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, talk with our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A tribute to my good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? I thought we talked about Death Cab. (laughs) Death Cab? Death Cab. Oh, we forgot. I'm like an elephant, man. You are an elephant, man. (laughs) Well, what? What do you mean by that? We did that song because guess what today is? National Lollipop Day? Yeah. How did you know? You know, I used my extreme skills of deduction, <laughs> reasoning. I was watching Sherlock last night. It all paid off this morning. Did it? It worked for you. Yeah. See, National Lollipop Day. Happy Lollipop Day, guys! Thank you. Yay! That sounded fake. <laughs> okay, here's the quiz. Go banana. <laughs> yeah, right. Simpsons reference. Here's the quiz. What? What did what was lollipop the candy named after? I have no idea. Some English girl named Lolly. Okay. No. It was named after a racehorse. The the guy George Smith, the owner of the small American candy store that came up with it, named it after a racehorse named Lolly Pop. There you go. That news brought to you by the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> We're doing what we can. On this uh, show to help you guys. Did you guys hear about the bear that ate the pies? No. How have we transitioned from lollipops to the bear that ate the pies? Oh, Sweets. wait, wait, wait. The one that, I actually did hear about this. The guy, the, the bear, he left the rhubarb, right? Yes. Have he you been listening the, to our show? He didn't eat the strawberry rhubarb. No, I actually saw this on Twitter. Yeah. He ate 24 pies, but only chose to eat the cherry and the apple and abstained from the strawberry rhubarb. 
Why would you leave off the strawberry rhubarb? I have I no like idea. I do too. Pie. I do too. I'm not a pie guy, but I like that one. But that's a, that's a great one. But he chose to some for some reason to leave it, and I'm just wondering, you know, what would make you two leave a pie? What would make us leave yeah. a pie? What would make me leave a pie? Yeah. I think uh, the more pertinent question here is, Jerem, if you had your take of pies, which would be the first that you'd go after? Uh, pumpkin, <laughs> cherry. Are you you're a pumpkin pie guy? Love pumpkin. Mm. Man, are you a pumpkin I, pie I, li- guy? I love pumpkin pie on, to answer his question, on a given holiday. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I don't love it all year. Right. Uh, what would make us leave a pie? Yeah. Well, stomachs know no season. They just know flavor. No, my stomach knows seasons. Well, your mind knows seasons. Your stomach's like, no, <laughs> I'm uh, Jerem, who's got the PhD here? You or me, pal? Uh, my brother-in-law soon enough. Is he so going I'll to? I'll bring him into the convo. Yeah, we'll have him in here soon. Do you use that card often? No, I never in do. In discussions? I never do. Because everybody's just <laughs> It's laughs. a good card. Like, mm, it's a great PhD, card. It's the, it's the ultimate Trump card. It's like, That's, it's like in your yeah. world, it's like, did you ever play pro football, Jerem? Well, no, I can't use that anyway. I know, but she's, you know, yeah, some people yeah. can. I don't, what do I have? Now you're, now you're making me question my No, you've got rugged good looks. Place of influence. You've got an incredible snappy personality, and you can do impressions. That's all I have. <laughs> no, I'm sad. Rugged good looks, snappy personality, and impressions. Uh, I, I personally would go for the apple and then cherry. I'd probably go for the strawberry rhubarb first if I were a bear breaking into a bears. bakery. Bears. But, but what are the three things? Anyway. Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> you guys, we're pathetic. Anybody that doesn't know. Will you let us know when we're on the air? Oh, yeah. We're going to be going on in a minute. Okay. We're going on in a minute. Hey, um, did, do you guys, are you doing that thing? That thing, uh, are you doing your show thing? Um, you know that yes, show thing yes. that you guys do? Uh-huh. Are you guys still doing it? Per contract, we have to. Wednesday's the 500th show, by the way. You guys, that's Wednesday. amazing. Congratulations. We're, we're going to do something crazy. If I were going to bring no, you a pie, not. what kind of pie would you want me to bring? Ooh, for show number 500? Yeah. Ooh. I'm not saying I would, but Any, if... How about a key lime pie, Matt? Oh, I love key lime. I love key lime pie. Jeremy, do you like key lime pie? Sure. Have you ever had key lime pie in Key West? Not in Key West, but I've had it in Florida. In we thought about Crable. driving to Key West when we went to Miami in December. Took the show to Miami. Mm-hmm. We thought about driving to Key West you on should've. Sunday. You should have. And then we re- didn't realize it was like four hours away. Yeah. From Miami. But it's worth the pie. It's worth the pie? Mm-hmm. No pie, pie is worth okay, a four-hour drive. Key lime pie drive. with graham cracker crust oh. and that fresh whipped mm. cream that they make mm. is unreal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, I'm starving now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> how many different mm, I don't know noises can you make? <laughs> That's how hungry I am. See, because this is the end of my show, and then you, you, this is the beginning of your show. So at the end of my show, I'm starving. Okay. The, the beginning what time of yours. Do you eat lunch? Uh, about eleven thirty. Okay. I start my first shift. My breakfast is about. I, I I eat it on my drive here, so about five forty-five. All right. Six hours would get you hungry. It's hard to eat pancakes driving, though. <laughs> I'm telling you. Too early for flapjacks? <laughs> My flapjacks are all over the floor. <laughs> hey, uh, what, what are you guys going to talk about on your show? The most disrespected college football programs in the country. And according to one CBS sports author, BYU is on that list. Really? So is BYU disrespected? 
Well, Are they really that disrespectful? Well, that's what everyone says, right? That's why they're not. That's why they're not in one of the big conferences. We're disrespected. Who says that though? Jimmy, Johnny, Billy. Everybody that we have talked to on this show. I mean, you take your pick. Brett McMurphy of ESPN, Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports, Phil Steele, the the guy for the College Football Preseason Magazine. They all have plenty of great things to say about BYU huh. and that they belong in a Power Five conference. Yeah. So who? Who's, Who is disrespecting BYU if they're one of the most disrespected programs in the country? It's the administrators of all the universities. Mm. You mm. are a wise one, Matt Townsend. Thank you, Grasshopper. So it depends on what angle you're looking at it from, hmm. but that will be the topic of discussion today. It's because a great they were, topic. On Friday, they were included in this article that had them at, in the top five most disrespected programs in the country. You know what? Again, you guys pull out a great topic. Not to mention uh, Paul Asike will join us. He's mm-hmm. trying to make an NFL roster in Arizona. Paul Asike. <laughs> the New Zealand yeah. nightmare. That was a great, that was a great <laughs> accent, too. Do you, yeah. do you guys do your accents on air on your show? It depends. You just save it for my moment. show. For the moment, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. It's You're good welcome. for ratings. <laughs> Our, ratings buster. our ratings go through the roof when you guys <laughs> use an accent. <laughs> when it sweeps week, we just go crazy with I know. Accents. It's fantastic. I, I use my, hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, that's the only accent I've got. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that. Hello, puppet. <laughs> hello, Grimna. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can do that one. That's, the, yeah, it's sad. That I think that accent, by the way, is Southern Utah. It's a Southern Utah accent. From Kanab. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, that one's that one's pretty sweet, man. It's pretty cool. Well, that's going to be a good show, and uh, we'll have uh, we'll have Terry bring you guys by some uh, some strawberry rhubarb pie today. Have Terry pull up some death cab for a cutie tomorrow. Okay, we'll give we'll, you another I, I'm gonna chance. Look at, I'm going to look at Ben again with an angry stink eye. Soul meets body. Benefit of the doubt because it was a weekend. Okay, and you ate too, you ate too much pie. So well, and, and it was lollipop day. And it's lollipop day, but tomorrow. You have 24 hours. Oh, my heavens. Okay. No, you this, have 24 hours from now. This so is intense. Tomorrow we want it. To this, get death cap for a cutie. Yeah. Soul meets body. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll have that on, and we will then discuss it, and I'm expecting a solo by both of you. Bring oh, it. Oh, Jerem, Jerem is ready to go right there. Why, why did you say Jerem, Spencer? Bring it. Have you not listened to him every time we've talked to you? I know. No, I have. I, I'm just wondering if you're going to participate. <laughs> I will participate. I want you to do a little I'll boy band harmony. dance thing. I'll sing harmony. Okay. This is okay. good. Okay, have a great show. Thank you, sir. Knock him dead. Bye, doctor. Bye-bye. Yeah, Ben, you got to remember that, dude. They're mad. They're ticked. Yeah. Do you have anything to say for yourself? Not really. Like... No, I want you to say something. <laughs> say it. Say something. I'd like to apologize to Sports Nation for not there you go. putting on Soul Meets Body. There you go. Okay, but tomorrow that will be fixed, right? Okay, he's kind of. He said, "Yeah, kind of." Hey, uh, we always like to end the show with a hero. Here's our hero story of the day: a 13-year-old boy from Chicago whose quick thinking saved his sister's life. After realizing that his sister was in danger, Devonte Ingram acted as quickly as he could to save her life. Uh, Diavani Ingram, 15, and her brother Devonte, 13, were walking down an alley in Chicago neighborhood of a- uh, Avondale when terror struck. A white van pulled up next to Diavani, opened its doors, and attempted to grab her. As Devante realized what was happening, he quickly grabbed onto his sister's waist, and he pulled her back as hard as he could. 
Diaveni said that she was grabbing hold of anything she could to find escape. Meanwhile, Devante's grip of his sister never loosened. The child was soon freed from the kidnappers, and they quickly drove away. The two children's mother is horrified and grateful, she says, that she finds this incident very disturbing, but that Devante will always be their hero. Both of the children got a good look at the suspect, and the officers are now undergoing an investigation. Hopefully they solve that. Devante, you are a hero, man, hero of the day here on the Matt Townsend Show. Also, just one other really interesting hero story is I'm going to say uh, a minion. Police in Colorado say a stuffed toy minion helped save a five-year-old girl's life after she fell out of a third-story apartment window. The girl broke her arm. But Colorado Springs police said that she, as she held onto the toy, it cushioned her fall Thursday night. Police said the girl was playing in her room when she fell backward out of a bedroom window. She dropped about three stories to the ground. The girl was treated and released, and authorities ruled the accident a fall. By the way, the toy was a minion, small yellow creature popularized by the animated film Despicable Me. So how cool is that? Devante and the minions are uh, Matt's heroes of the day. How cool is that, folks? So whoever said, that's why I'm glad Ben brings his stuffed animal to work with him, because you never know. It could save a life. Right, Ben? That's my intent, Matt. Okay. That's the show, folks. That's the show. Remember, our goal is to help you find the good in the world. You can find us on uh, podcasts, iTunes, tune in. You can also go to BYURadio.org. Check us out on Facebook. Check us up. Look us up on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Tons of good stuff, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back tomorrow. Until tomorrow, take care of yourself. Love the ones that uh, you're closest to. Make sure you keep them close and make it a great one. Talk to you tomorrow.